0: The story is told of a woman who, after a long illness, died and arrived at Heaven's Gate. While she was waiting for St. Peter to greet her, she peeked through the gates and she saw before her a beautiful banquet table. And there, sitting all around the table, were her parents and all the people that she had loved and had died before her. They saw her and began calling greetings to her. Hello, how have you been? We've been waiting for you. It's good to see you. Peter came by, when Peter came by, the woman said to him, This is a great place. What do I have to do to get in? And he said, all you've got to do is spell one word, one simple word. She said, what is it? He said, the word is love. And immediately she said, love, L-O-V-E. He said, great. And he opened the gates. About two years later, St. Peter came to, the, came to the woman and asked her to watch the gates while he took a well-deserved day off. And, uh, you know, and uh, so while she was guarding the gates of heaven, the woman's husband arrived. And she said, I'm surprised to see you. How have you been? He goes, "Ha oh, He goes, you know, I I hate to say it, but I've been doing really well since you died. (laughs) In fact, if you remember, the, the gal, that nurse who took care of you, that pretty young thing, he goes, well, I married her. And he goes, that wasn't good enough. Right after that, we won the lottery. And so we moved out of that little house. You and I lived in We bought a big old mansion, lived there, and we got to travel all over the world. In fact, this morning we were traveling and we were out and I was water skiing and I fell, apparently I fell and went to ski. I saw the ski coming at me and that's the last thing I remember And I'm here. And she goes, oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> and he said, this is a great place. What, what do I got to do to get in? She said, well, all we've got to do is spell one simple word. And he goes, oh, what's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. You know, the, the point, while doctrinally incorrect, uh, there, there's, still, there's still a good lesson that we can all learn from that man's bad example, his lack of discretion. You know, in our ongoing study through Luke's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, we come to a passage that focuses our attention on a good lesson that we can learn from another bad example. A good lesson from a bad example. If you've got your Bibles before you, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, and we'll go through that together. And we'll take a look at what the lesson is that we can learn from a bad example. In Luke 16, starting with verse 1, we read these words, Now he, speaking of Jesus, was also saying to the disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, Man, what am I going to do? Since my master is taking the stewardship away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each, each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else the one will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, and since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery as well. From this passage, the use of wealth is a major topic You know, if you stop and think about it, wealth can be, you know, a blessing or it could be a curse depending on whether it's used as a means to exercise power over others, a tool for self-indulgence, or else the ability to use those resources to serve and to meet the needs of other people. You know, wealth's dangers that it can turn our focus or our attention uh, toward our own enjoyment. You know, as we saw when we were going through Luke 12, the rich fool, it was like me and my and mine and myself, and I said these things, and I stored up in barns, and I built bigger barns, and you know, all that I accumulated, it was going to be for my own use, and God says, you fool, today your soul is required of you. Today you'll give an account for what you did with those resources. And so as we look at this, you know, it, 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 it could be very self-serving. In fact, in our next message next week, we'll see the same thing happen with a certain rich man in verse, 16, verse 19 who used all of the resources that he had been blessed with to meet his own needs and really had no consideration of others. And it's a reflection of our our relationship with God, how we use material things, as we'll see as we go through this. You know, money's a tool and it's an excellent resource when it's put to the right use. But it's also very dangerous and damaging when we begin to use it for self-serving purposes and so when we look at this passage we're going to see that you know the good samaritan was a great example of a person who used resources that were given to him to meet the needs of another person whereas the rich man in the next passage that we'll see next time was an example on the other side of it of how not to use or you know a good lesson from another bad example that we'll look at so in this passage before us we see jesus makes a very blunt yet clear statement from which we'll develop our outline if you'll look with me at verse thirteen He summarizes it and he ties it all together by saying that no servant can serve two masters. It's impossible. And he was using the steward that he had as an example saying, this man couldn't serve the owner of the resources and himself because there was a conflict that took place. And what he's saying is that in the same way, you cannot serve both God and money. There's two masters. Which master will you serve? And that's the, uh, the the focal point of the passage. And the first truth, you know, that of not being able to serve God money is seen in verses 1 through 8 in the accountability of the unjust steward that we have before us in our outline the accountability of the unjust steward. In verse 1, if you look again with it, it says, now he was also saying, there was a continuation, and so it's important to recognize that what we had already studied in, in Luke chapter 15 is a continuation now. It's, it's, a, it's a furthering of the teaching. He's saying, now he was also saying to the disciples. He was reminding them of, okay, remember the parable that we had just gone through. You know, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the, and the lost son and how when the son came home, there was a brother that didn't rejoice. And he looked at him and said, you know what, you're waiting wasting resources. It's kind of that attitude that said, what are you throwing a party for this guy for? Because, I mean, he wasted all, he squandered away your resources. He comes home and you throw him another party. Now you're squandering away more resources. And it's the same attitude that they had toward the woman who who anointed Jesus' feet. You know, when Judas, who supposedly was so concerned about Jesus, said, man, you know what? We could have used that money uh, to do other things with it. Why did you just waste a whole year's worth of income anointing Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume? Man, there was better things that we could have done with it. Well, it didn't take long before Scripture revealed Judas's heart. Judas could have cared less about Jesus. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about the money. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. So his heart was, was exposed as time went on. And so often is the case in our lives where we pretend that we're concerned about something when in reality our heart will be ex- exposed over a period of time. That's what's going on here. Specifically, the wrong behavior of the older brothers, he says, now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And a steward was a person, most of the time, a slave who was uh, was uh, promoted to a position of accountability where he would invest the, uh, the owner's resources. Many times the owners were absentee owners. In our culture today, it would be like having a financial planner, and you would send all the resources to the financial planner, and his job, or responsibility or hers, is to invest those resources that you entrust to them, and yet at the same time, they always have a clear understanding of this, it's not their money. They are managing the portfolio of someone else's assets or wealth, it is not their money. And when they begin to mistakenly believe it's their money, then there's where the conflict takes place, you can't serve two masters. You know, what's going on? What's it all about? And so he's taken a very, a, a very common situation. It's a true story. Just like when he said a certain Samaritan, there's a certain rich man, as we'll see in verse 19, another certain rich man. You know, these are stories. These are people that his audience would have been well familiar with you know, the story of a steward who was unjust or squandering his master's resources were something that was known all throughout the culture, just like in our day-to-day, where you look at, you know, how many times we read in the newspaper financial section or whatever about somebody's embezzling somebody else's retirement funds, and they mismanage them, and, you know, they, they use it for their own personal gain, and millions and millions of dollars is siphoned and go somewhere else, you know, and all these, you know, people that are retired and limited in fixed incomes, they trust these people, and all of a sudden it blows up in their face, and, and we see it all the time because you know why there's nothing new under the sun there's nothing new under the sun the same problem that we have in our culture they had in their culture the difference was you know the the means of communicating you know the the evil of mankind is a lot quicker today because all we got to do is flip on a tv or to put you know put on the internet and we get it immediately where you know it had to be word of mouth and the report and that's why the word is used and it was reported to him It was so evident what this guy was doing that it was reported back to the owner of these assets that this guy who's supposed to be taking care of your possessions is squandering them. And so we look at, the, and we're immediately told the reason for this accountability was the fact that this man was squandering his possessions. And it's no coincidence that it's the same, words that, that it, same word that is used in Luke 15 and verse 13 of the young son who went to a dis, different, distant country and what? Squandered his estate with loose living so it's a continuation of the same thought the young man squandered away his estate and now here's a guy who is a steward squandering away the assets of the owner of these things and he's called into account in simple terms he wasn't investing the uh, these resources in a proper manner and so it was obvious to everyone that it was reported back to him hey man you're getting ripped off the guy you've entrusted with all your resources is ripping you off he's not investing it wisely you're losing a fo- you're losing a ton of money. And so he went to him and said, Hey, you know what? Give an account. You know, and, and, and you know, having been in the construction business for years, I can give you I can tell you story after story of people who have, you know, countless examples of the same type of waste. People who use their jobs as, you know, the, their, their place of personal business who are on the phone all the day doing personal things, who are running errands while they're, quote, on the clock doing personal things. You know, guys, in our case, when we had job sites that are all over the place, from Westlake Village to San Diego, and you trust people to go, and they're on the job, and they're working, and you find out later that, you know, one of the guys was going to school, and he's supposed to be running a job, and he's sitting in the trailer, and he's doing his homework during the middle of the day. Or you have guys that are supposed to be at a certain time, and you find out, hey, you know what? Hey, your guys didn't show up till 10. They're supposed to be here at 7. And then they call in, oh, yeah, we worked eight, nine hours today. Even we worked overtime. We got there at 10, and we worked th- till 3. And you go, wow, that's interesting, overtime. And uh, so, you know, it, th- these things happen. And, and And yet at the same time, the challenge that I have for us as God's people is, you know, do you work heartily as t- unto the Lord, for it's the Lord God that you serve, Or do you hardly work and you profane the name of Christ by the fact that people know you're a Christian and yet there you are robbing and stealing from your employer? You know, people are watching. They notice those things. You know, do you you work heartily as unto the Lord? For it's the Lord God you serve. And we can all justify and rationalize why, you know what? We don't get paid what we think we're worth. And, you know, we should have got this bonus and we didn't get it. And so, you know, I'm just making up. I'm balancing the scales and, you know, I'm just kind of cutting here or there. You know what? That's just nonsense. The bottom line is this, is that you and I as God's people will give an account to the Lord for how we redeemed this time. Whether we've redeemed it wisely or whether we've profaned the name of our Lord by claiming to be one thing and our actions demonstrate something else. My challenge to you is this. If you are working for someone, anyone, even if you are self-employed and you work for your customer, then you work heartily as unto the Lord, for it's the Lord God whom you serve. Because guess what, folks? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked whatever man sows he's going to reap, payday one day, and this guy's payday was about to come. The boss was away, so he thought he could play, and the word got back on the street and back to the boss that, guess what, man? This guy is just milking it, and he's not being diligent at what you've entrusted him to do, and so he came to him and said, you know what? Your days here are up, buddy. You give an account for what you've done with the resources that I've entrusted to you. And that's what this whole backdrop is about. And so all of a sudden, you know, he's got to answer. And notice his response that we see in verses 4 through 7. He has to give an account. And he said to himself, verse 3, you know what? Well, I'm not strong enough to dig, which, you know, I highly doubt that. It just was a matter of, you know what? I don't want to dig. Now, I've seen digging, and digging's overrated. And so I don't want to dig. You know, And on the other hand, I'm ashamed to beg, and you know that's his pride. So it's like, man, I'm, in a, I'm in a pickle here because I'm going to lose my job, and I don't want to dig, and I don't want to beg, so I don't know really what to do. Ah, i got a game plan. And look at his game plan. This is an ingenious game plan. He says, I know what I'm going to do. When I'm removed from the stewardship, so he knew he was losing his job, his days were numbered because he knew he couldn't give an answer for what happened, and as soon as he gave an account, he was history. He said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something so that they, and we'll talk about who they are, will receive me into their homes. He summoned each one of the master's debtors, and he began saying to the first one, Hey, how much do you owe? He said, Well, I owe 100 measures of oil. He said, Okay, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. You owe only 50 now. And what else? He said to another one, How much do you owe? He said, Oh, I owe 100 measures of wheat." He said, Well, take your bill and write 80. And so his game plan was, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through and I'm going to discount heavily all of my master's bills so that these people that I discount will think that, you know, I've done them a favor. They'll owe me a favor. And hey, I got this all figured out. I am going to figure out a way to make this into a positive experience. And as we look at this, there's three things. There's three schools of thought and three things that are options that are here. You know, the first option is, you know, you know what, the steward is an unjust steward. Um, he could have went to him and just did that and just made it, you know, the, the fact that he was just a crook even more evident by just saying, hey, you know what, just discount your bill and don't forget who discounted it and, you know, I'll be seeing you later. And, uh, and so he, he could have done that. Um, the second thing is that, you know, he could have went and, and uh, deducted all the unfair according to the uh, biblical laws. He could have just taken all the interest that they weren't supposed to be charging anyway and learned from his mistake and said, well, I'm just going to deduct that. But the problem with that is the differences as far as, you know, a 50% discount in one case and, a di- you know, a different dif- discount in another case. Well, you know what, that, you know, a 20% there, a 50% there, that really didn't make any sense. And the third option, which has good historical and cultural depth um, um, to it is this that the discount that he gave was because that was the commission that he was going to make himself on the transactions And so when we look at this, I favor that view because I find it hardly credible for the master to commend the steward as we see in verse uh, 9 or, you know, in verse 8 where he says, hey, you know what? Wow, well, look at this guy. He's a pretty sharp guy. I don't see him commending him. And if reductions are dishonest price cuts, then he's not going to be commended for that and they would constitute a further injustice against his owner. So that doesn't make any sense to me. And so when you look at this, the fact that Jesus himself praises the steward's actions in the subsequent remarks. you know would he really commend such immoral behavior and the answer is no and so it makes sense when you look at it that you know what what he was doing was saying this you know what i'm going to take a hit now and i'm going to get it returned to me later and i want you to understand that because that's exactly the application of the message that jesus is going to give and that is this you know what take the hit now for future reward be shrewd in how you conduct yourself. Have an end game in mind in what you're doing. And sometimes take the sacrifice today, which is very biblical. You know, hey, every day, t- pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. You know, denying yourself today for that which God has for us downstream. So rather than getting that, you know, and here's, and here's one of the things I want to share with you that... Will, will help all of us focus more on biblical truth and not get caught off on rabbit trails. Because this is what the devil wants to do. He wants you to begin to debate and argue which of those three positions is accurate. And, and all I can say to you is, who cares? Does it really matter? Because that's not the message. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is what is about to follow, and that is the application that Jesus has and he makes for his disciples, including you and me today. So rather than waste time on these things about, well, you know, I don't know if it was a commission and I don't know if he was just, you know, acting this way or that way. It it doesn't really matter. Don't miss the point. And this is the point. The point is his application extends in various directions, which we're going to take a look at. So picking up in verse 8, the first part of the verse, and it says, And his master praised the unrighteous steward. So there's an argument that says, well, the guy was a crook. But at the same time, he was praised because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And so there's a couple of different directions that we're going to go with this, but the application is very simple. He's saying that, you know, there's a temporal view of life, and there's an eternal view of life. There is a view, any financial planner can tell you, there is an immediate return view Or there is a long-term view there is what are you in it for if you're in it for the long term if you're in it for you know you're 40 years old and you're you're in these accounts because you want to set up a retirement then guess what you're going to have peaks and valleys you're going to take some hits along the way but at the end of the day you're moving in a direction that you're going to accomplish your end goal if you're in it just for today then you know what as soon as that stock goes up hurry up and sell because i need them i want it today and there's two there's two viewpoints of looking at investments and all jesus is saying is is that you know what the world we live in is very good at using resources for their own purposes. In the business community, it's, I mean it's amazing to me, people when they make decisions about who they're going to do business with or who they're going to basically do favors for, it's always how can this person help me out down the road therefore I want to have a relationship with them so that when I'm in need of something I'll call in a favor hey remember when I did this for you you owe me one construction industry it's always that case hey you know what on this job hey can you do us a favor can you discount some of these change orders because you know the budget got thrown off but you know what we got this job over here and if you can do that then we'll give you this one and if you'll just deduct from that one we'll go ahead and do this and it's constant it's always you're always negotiating you're always involved with okay you know what well we'll go ahead and do that There's always the promise of this or whatever. And, you know, and after a while, you know whether people have credibility or not. When they say they'll do something, that they'll do it. And you kind of go, okay, I'll help you over here, but you help us over here. See, now what what Jesus is saying is, hey, guess what? The world is good at that, but God's people stink at this. We're just terrible at it. We don't know how to do this. He said, the world is good at this, but the children of light, which is another name for God's people, they don't know how to use the resources today for benefits downstream. We don't know how to do it. You know, the cults know how to do it. They're excellent at it. It's like, you know what? If you belong to this cult, then we expect you give so much money. And if you give so much money, we're going to network with you people in our church and we're going to give you these jobs and this job and that job and this one and this business and that business. And it's all networked together. And you know what? That's why it's so hard to leave a cult. You know, people in them they go, well, you know what? Hey, I know about it. I, I know that what we believe isn't right. I don't really believe that stuff. But you know what? I'm so intertwined with what's going on here. we got family relationships and these things and business dealings. And you know what? It's, it's going to cost too much to step away from what I know to be wrong, so I'll overlook those things. Why? Because at the end of the day, you can't love God and money, can you? So I'm still in it because I love money. Now, I'll say I love God, but you know, I don't love God, I love money. Money is my God. And so, as we go through this, this is what Jesus is trying to help us to understand. There's the dishonest manager who knew how to sacrifice today for a future benefit, Then there's God's people who don't understand how to sacrifice today for the future benefit or the promises that God has to make. So as we go through this, there is this battle that goes on. You know, we should act, notice, we should act in a shrewd but not dishonest manner when it comes to using resources that God has given us. And in light of this temporal versus eternal mindset, he gives three admonitions in these verses. Notice verse 9. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So the first application is this. We are to use our opportunities wisely. One of these days, your life and my life will come to an end. And when that day comes, money is not going to do you any good. Period. You know, in his past years, I've been in the hospital and I lay there and I get all this news and stuff. You know what? You lay there and go, hey, money can't do anything for me right now. Nothing. Hey, can I give you more money and maybe you'll make this go away? Nope, that won't work. It just, it'll fail. And that's what he says. You know what? When it fails, money will fail you there is a window of opportunity to use money and resources that God has given us to use those for God's purposes to reach people with the gospel so that when we invest and use these opportunities wisely, one day, notice this, he says, and make friends by means of money that when it fails and it will, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What he's saying is money can only buy you so much. But at the end of the day, it's going to fail. And you know when I was laying in the hospital last time I was in there. I was laying there thinking, you know what? Have I invested the resources that God has entrusted to me in such a manner that lives were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? I didn't lay there and think about, wow, you know what? I was so nice. Like, but we bought a house and we got a car and we got all this stuff. You know, there, was, there was never any thought of Wow, look at the material things we've been able to acquire with money. Because at, the, at that point in life, you kind of go, you know what? It didn't mean anything. So what? Now, my family may enjoy whatever. And, and you know, and they may look at it and go, hey, way to go, Dad. But, uh, you, know, <laughs> but, but you know, but I'm not going to answer to them. i have going to answer to God. And I'm going to be accountable to him. And that day of accountability is, Chuck, what did you do with the resources I entrusted to you? And how did you make friends with this money that when they and you are in heaven together, they will receive you? And now they could be several things. They could be, according to Luke chapter 15, the angels of heaven rejoice when a sinner a sinner repents, so they could welcome us. All God's angels could welcome you and I, who are born again, trusted in Christ, repented from sin, and, and you know, they they may be the ones that welcome us. There's another thought, too, in that they could be the friends that we make by investing in the kingdom of God so that they hear the gospel, they repent from their sin, they trust in Christ's death on the cross on their behalf, the power of his resurrection, they're born again, they're children of God, and when they get to heaven. They will welcome us and say, hey, if it wasn't for you investing the resources God gave you, the gospel wouldn't have been shared with me. And so, hey, I just want to let you know that it was because of your faithfulness that we're here today. Praise God, it's all God's grace, but at the same time, it was because you were faithful. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we really understand that we need to store up our treasures in heaven? And what greater treasure is there in heaven than redeem people? I mean, think about it. You know, Matthew 6, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where rust won't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. And you know what? You need to store up your treasures in heaven. What's more treasurable? What is more precious than the soul of a human being? And if we can use money, this temporary thing that God has given us, and if we can use money to reach people with the gospel then we have traded the temporary pleasure of what we could have used it for, for the eternal pleasure of seeing someone in heaven and, and being restored a hundredfold the things that we sacrifice. It's a no-brainer. You can't lose. The Word of God is so, you know, is so clear on this. You can't give up anything today for God's sake and His purposes, His kingdom, His glory, that we won't enjoy for all of eternity. It's a no-brainer. So why do we hang on to stuff that doesn't do us any good eternally and when you're laying on your deathbed, you're thinking, man, why did I hang on to all that stuff? I should have invested in God's kingdom because now all my family's going to do is fight over what I left. And so there's a balance there. And listen, listen, please. There's a balance. And now you, this is where the devil likes to jump in and say, Oh, look at that, you know, give all your money away. No, look, there's a balance. All I'm asking you is this. Where does God fit in your equation? I praise God that we have a very generous group of people. No, to date, we've given away almost 25,000 CDs and tapes. The gospel is going into all the world. Lives are being touched by the word of God, the power of the spirit of God. People are coming to faith in Christ. And you know why that's possible? Because of your generosity and our decision to be able to earmark those funds for that purpose because we are committed to reach this world with the word of God. We're in the process of developing that property and the whole purpose of the property is just so we don't have a neat looking facility and a nice building. The whole purpose of the property is to reach people for the Lord so that they can hear the gospel and when they come to faith in Christ we can get them plugged in and we can build them up in their faith so they can go out and they can learn what it means to live in a manner worthy of their calling so they can learn what it means to use the resource that God's given them to go out and reach more people for the kingdom of God that's why we're doing it not for any other reason and today we've spent almost a half a a million dollars without going to the line of credit as of yet for what we've done so far and we just praise God that we have a very generous group of people but I want you to understand that you're Giving for the purpose of making friends with the mammon of unrighteousness so that one day when we're in heaven together we will see more clearly how that investment has paid off for God's kingdom and man it doesn't get any better than that because you know what everything else you know the longer you live and the more material things material things that you have and you experience you enjoy the more you realize how empty they all are you know temporary pleasure great but you know what nothing compares to one sinner repenting and turning to Christ if all the, you know, it doesn't say all the, heavens of, all the angels of heaven rejoice when you buy your new car. <laughs> it doesn't say it. It's just not there. But they rejoice when one sinner repents. And so, what he's saying to us is, is that we have a very narrow window of opportunity to use the resources, financial resources that God has given us to invest in an eternal future. And the question that you have to ask yourself, and I know people hate this. I mean, you know, there there we go again, preaching about money. You know what? And you know if you've been here long enough, I am not going to shrink away from what the passage is, and that's exactly what this passage is about. So that's why we're going to all have to deal with it. So that's what it comes down to. Don't waste that limited window of opportunity, the brevity of life. Use money today to make an investment in a future which is secure in heaven now the second thing he goes on to say in verse 10 and 11 and that is this he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much if therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon who will entrust the true riches to you now look at verse 10 closely there are two distinct thoughts in these two verses the first one in verse 10 clearly teaches That our faithfulness to God, which is the biggest thing, is reflected in how we invest money. Stop and think about this. How do you use the resources that God has entrusted to you? Money is a test of our commitment to the Lord. It is a test of our commitment to the Lord. And now this is where it gets really personal, but I've got to ask the questions. Do you tithe regularly? 2 Corinthians 8 9. Do you have a plan, a giving plan, a purpose? Do you propose in your heart to give to the Lord's work for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can make friends with that mammon of unrighteousness? Do you tithe regularly? Does God get from the first fruit of what he has given you? You wait until the end of the year and then you try to catch up like so many people do. It's like, okay, we got what we need. We bought what we wanted. And now we'll try to catch up. You know what? The whole purpose of tithing regularly is to be reminded regularly of the blessings of God in our life and who comes first. And so if you get paid weekly, you should tithe weekly. If you get paid every two weeks, you should tithe. You know, whenever you get resources that God has blessed you with, you should immediately say, Lord, you know what? I want to recognize that that came from you, and so therefore I'm going to give it back to reach people with the gospel. You know, some people don't like that because it's so personal. But you know what? What I've always said is this, that's too bad. It it just really is. It's just too bad. And the reason that it's too bad is because this is a test of your supposed love for your Savior. Do you really love Him? Does He come first in your life? Are you generous with material possessions? If not, then listen to me carefully. If not, then you don't have the big thing, which is loving God, in the proper priority. Our actions, good or bad, reflect our true and not imagined spiritual condition. Are you generous to God or are you self-centered with your possessions? And that's why when you read this, see, a lot of times people read that and say, oh, if you're faithful in little, he'll make you faithful in much. That is not what it says. It says that he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. If you are faithful in what you do with the money God has given you, it is just an indication that you are faithful in the much, the big thing, which is your love for God. It's not, oh, do that first and then you'll get faithful to God and love God. No, you love God first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you do love Him first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it'll be represented and reflected by what you do with the possessions that God has given you. And the biggest lie from the pit of hell is this. And and I know it because before I gave my life to Christ and trusted Him as Savior, and I'd go to church and I'd hear somebody talking about money, we'd go, you know what, there it is. It's always about money. Churches always want money. There's never enough. They always want more. They're always going on. And you know what And that is not the case And you know that And if you've been here long enough You know it That's why the boxes are in the back This is between you and the Lord And the, and the bottom line of this I'm not going to hammer anybody I'll never ask anybody specifically To give any money Because I've always said And I've had people say Hey you know you've got a vision program you got this building fund You know how much money do you need Whatever it is And say you know what The bottom line is that's between you and the Lord. I will never ask any person for a specific amount of money. I will never take a specific amount of money in exchange for some position of of authority or power. You know what? That's between you and the Lord. You decide what God wants you to do with the resources He's entrusted to you. And you know what? And we're fine with that because we know this, that our God is not limited in what He can do. And so this isn't about some underhanded, subconscious way to try to get more money. This is about making you become more accountable and also recognizing that one of the greatest ways that you have to reflect the love that you say you have for God is how you use the resources that God has given you. So you say you love God? Well, we'll see. And so will you, by whether you're generous towards God or generous towards yourself. And I've always been challenged by this thought. You know, as we walk and mature in our faith, we should always increase our standard of giving and not our standard of living. Because the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we recognize that, you know, temporal things are just that, passing. But you know what, things we invest that have an eternal future to it, the lives of people, the souls of men and women... You know, I can't wait to get to heaven and have somebody come and say, hey, listen, I just want to thank you because your church was committed in, in sending CDs and tapes around the world, and I heard a message, and I gave my life to Christ, and you know what? And it was only because of that tool that God had given you and the resources that God gave you to use. And it's like, man, we're going to have, we're going to have a great time in heaven one day seeing how God used the faithfulness of the, the resources we had to magnify his kingdom. You know Jesus is so concerned about money and how we use it because money is not neutral. You know I've often heard people say, "Well, you know, well, money's neither good nor bad," and to some degree I agree with that. You know they say, "Well, it's how you get it and what you do with it when you have it." Money's neither good nor bad, and you know I say I, I agree with that. Yet here's a problem I have. You know Jesus calls it the mammon or money of unrighteousness. Peter and Paul both called it filthy money, dirty money, and and what I gather by that is this that money brings out the worst in sin nature. It just does. Do you stop and think about it? Think about how many times in your family you have had fights and arguments over money. Money brings out the worst in sin nature. It's just nasty. It's ugly stuff. I mean, it's like you got people fighting over estates and people fighting over money and, you know, churches fighting over donors and, you know, and and all this stuff that goes on. And, you know, and money just brings out the worst in sin nature if we let it control our lives. You know, it just, that self-exam. How many marriage and families fight over money? how many business partners and businesses have been destroyed over money? You know, salaries and bonuses and, you know, this and that. And, you know, and it just blows up. You know, there's one scandal after another All you gotta do is listen to the news Pick up the newspaper One scandal after another And the heart and the root of it Is a love for money It's just, you know, it's just nasty stuff You know, even tithing I've seen families have arguments Over whether they should tithe or not But we should, you know, it's like Well, well, I think we should And I don't think we should And we need this and we need that And they fight over that Okay, well, we'll tithe We'll tithe on the gross And they know we'll tithe on the net And, you know, and it's like Oh my, it's like What in the world? I mean, you just fight all the time You know, the love of money can tempt folks to do things they would otherwise never think to do. One of the funniest stories I've heard, case in point, is a story of a guy named Jorge Rodriguez. The meanest, orniest bandit on the Texas-Mexican border, this guy would often slip across the line into Texas, he'd rob the banks of South Texas, steal him blind before they can catch him, he'd slip back over the border, he'd go to Mexico, no matter how hard they tried to find him, they can never find him, finally the Texans got so fed up with it, they brought in a guy, no nonsense, toughest Texas ranger that they knew, they put him on the case and sure enough, within two weeks, he found this guy, tracked him down in Mexico on a bar, went into the bar, pulled out both guns and said, you know what, freeze, we've got you, and uh, you need to surrender and tell us where the money is and he started to get a little bit you know upset with him he said you know hey tell us where the money is if you don't tell me where the money is in 10 seconds i'm going to blow your head off and just then his friend came up next to him jorge's friend and said you know what he doesn't speak any english in your let me explain to you he doesn't speak anything you tell me what you want me to tell him and i'll tell him and so he begins to tell him he said you tell him to tell us where the money is And he said that, you know, or they're they're going to blow your brains out. And Jorge looked at him and looked at the, you know, Texas Ranger, saw the guns and said, well, you know what, tell him if he goes down at the end of the street, there's a well down there. If he goes into the well, four blocks down, four bricks down, if he pulls that brick out, all the money that I've stolen, there's probably a million dollars. I hit it there. He can have it. He can take it if he just leaves me alone. And so this interchange goes on. A Texas Ranger goes, okay. And and he hears, what did he say? And his friend looked at the Texas Ranger and said, he said, you know what? Go ahead, loudmouth. Blow my brains out. I don't care what you say. (laughs) You know, money, man. Money distorts friendships, you know? (laughs) It could just blow things apart, you know? And that's why God says, you know what? Don't pursue. Don't love money. Don't be in pursuit of money, but pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Think about how many things in our culture, how many sins are are, are committed in the name of the love of money. Think about you know, I was thinking about lying and cheating and stealing and embezzling and coveting and all those things that the root of all of it is, is the love of money and the pursuit of it. I think about the the, the just the, the, the tragedy of abortion in our culture. And I think a lot of times the root of it is that we can't afford to raise a child. It's not the right time, not now, not this way. And so it becomes a financial decision. And those who encourage people to have abortions are encouraging because, guess what? They're making a whole lot of money on it. And it all becomes money. At the bottom line of all of it is, you love God or do you love money? And if you love money, you'll do things that are heinous in the sight of God. And that's exactly what Jesus warns against. You cannot love God and money. You just can't. I said there were two distinct thoughts. Verse 11 is the second one, and that is this. You know, faithfulness with money and giftedness opens the door for more spiritual riches and responsibility. You can read that in the parables of the talent, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, or or the parable of the pounds, which you'll see in Luke 19, verses 12 through 27. He's saying that you've been faithful in little, I'll make you faithful in much. But verse 10 is, you know what? You're faithful in your love for God. Therefore, you're faithful in the resources I've given. As you're faithful in the resources I've given you, then I will make you more faithful in more deeper things of spiritual life. There's a reason that some of us never grow in our spiritual walk. And that is because we've never gotten past the first step of separating our love of money from our love from God. The world we live in pursues money. God's people are to pursue God. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. They all take care of themselves. They all fall into place because they're not the primary focus. You know, the third and final application for this section is that we, we have to be wholly devoted to God. And that's what verse 13 is. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. The steward couldn't serve his master as the owner because he started to think that he was his owner. Just as a financial planner today would start to misbelieve that the money that he's entrusted with is somehow now his money and he can do whatever he wants with it. You know, you see that all the time. You, you have servants that work for people that are very wealthy and they start, you know, walking through and living in the house and they start thinking, hey, you know what, my, the owners are gone, they're out of town, I'm going to have all my friends over and have a party. It's like, well, wait a minute, it's not your house. Well, yeah, but I've been here like, you know, they think i got squatter's rights. You know, but I've been here two, three, four, five, twenty 20 years and so, you know what, this is all mine. And then, you know what, one of them dies and all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the family takes over and they bounce all these people and say, but I've been a good employee. You know, this is my house. No, it's not your house. You you were, you were, you know, it was gracious enough that you were able to live here as long as you did and enjoy the resources that were here, but they were never yours. And guess what? Not only should God get his tithe off the top, but we should also consult with him as to what to do with the other 90% as well, since it's all his. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I gave my tithe. I can do whatever I want with the other 90%. No, 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 no. It's not yours. You gave your 10% to remind you that it wasn't yours. And the other 90%, you go to God and say, what do you want us to do with your resources? And how does this spending decision please you, glorify you, expand your kingdom and your purposes? Do we ever consult God and the other 90%? Or 98 percent, 96 percent, 95. Do I hear 93? You know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's personal. It's up to It's between you and God. But the thing is, just don't miss this. It's not yours. It's not mine. We will give an account for what we did with what God entrusted to us in this temporary window of opportunity that we call life this side of the eternal curtain. What are you doing with it? You know, I, I like this. I heard a story of a little boy who almost kind of caught it. After a church service, he went up to the pastor and he said, you know what? He heard this message and he said, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. And the pastor said, "Well, wow, that's great. Thank you. Why, why are you going to do that? He goes, because I heard my daddy talking and he said, you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. <laughs> so almost got it, but didn't quite get the message. All right, number three. We've seen the accountability of the unjust steward. We saw the application that Jesus made, be eternally minded, not temporal, love God, not money. And the attitude of the Pharisees, and this is how he used it to flush them out. Notice what he said. The Pharisees were lovers of money. What was the biggest problem with the Pharisees? They love money. They love money, and loving money got in the way of their relationship with God. And it said, notice what it said. They were listening, and they were scoffing at him. The word literally in the Greek means that they turned their noses up at him. Just like people who hate messages and sermons on, you know, what the Bible has to say about finances. They walk out and they go... You know and they get really nasty about it and it's like you know and they they try to distort it and take it out of context and try to make it say something it didn't say and i i heard you say this no you didn't you want me to say that because you got a problem it's between you and god but you're a lover of money you don't love god so you know deal with it but the thing is like jesus said here you know what god knows your hearts verse 15 he said to them you you justify yourselves in the sight of men but god knows your hearts for that reason you know which you highly esteem among men is detestable in the sight of god Think about the world we live in. The world we live in is more concerned about what people think of us and how we use money to give across an impression about us than what we care about what God thinks of us. You know, look at the clothes he wears, look at the clothes she wears, look at the car they drive, look at the house they live in, look at this, look at that, whatever. And there's nothing wrong because some of the wealthiest people in Scripture were people that loved the Lord but they never put their material things ahead of their love for God. And I believe that God would have came to them and said, you know what, time's up, I need all of that for this purpose. They all said, fine, thank you for letting me use it while I used it. Because, you know, there's nothing wrong, like I said, with wealth in and of itself. It's just a question of whether it distorts your love for God, where does he fit on the priority list? And what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, he said, you're more concerned about what people think of you than what God thinks of you. And when we start living our lives more concerned about what people think of us than God thinks of us, then it opens the door for us to do a whole bunch of things that are just wrong before God. We have got to get to the point where, you know what, Lord, I don't care about what others think of me as long as you are pleased with who I am and what I do in your name. And if others are pleased, praise God, take note of them, hang around them, because those are the people you want to call your friends. And if others aren't pleased, then bad company corrupts good morals. Just run from them as fast as you can and make sure you have fellowship with people who are like-minded that, you know what, there's nothing more important than pleasing God in how we conduct ourselves. Are you pleasing God in your life? And lastly, as we put this together, look at the answer that Jesus gives. He said, You're those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. He says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since then, what a wonderful turning point in human history. You know, the word of God, the laws of God were proclaimed so that men would see that they all fall short of the glory of God, that all of us are sinners, none of us are righteous, we can't maintain the laws of God. When John the Baptist came, he preached repentance, and from that period on, it was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to be right with God, the Bible says, repent of sin, turn from sin, turn from your love for money, turn from coveting, turn from lying, turn from stealing, turn from cheating, uh, turn from all these things that reflect your love for money. Repent, turn from that, turn to God. Trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. Trust that He rose again from the dead. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. Receive Him as your Savior. The Bible says you become a child of God to those who believe in His name. That you love Him more than anything else. Everything else pales in comparison. He said that, you know what, and then since then, that's the gospel the kingdom of God has preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Notice this all started in verse 1 of chapter 15 when they asked the question, Why do you receive sinners and tax gatherers? He said, Because they all want to get in the kingdom of God, they are listening. They all need... What do we got to do? You got to repent. We'll repent. You got to turn from sin. We'll turn from sin. You got to trust in Christ. I'll trust in Christ. His death on the cross, the power of His resurrection, Receive Him the Savior. I'll do that. They all wanted to get in the kingdom of God. But the religious leaders didn't want to get in the kingdom of God because they were more concerned about their own little deal, their own little kingdom than they were of, uh, of surrendering that kingdom for God's kingdom. And he just pointed it right out to them in a very loving way. He said, Man, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. He's saying, you know what? God's word is eternal. God's word is non-negotiable. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is his plan of salvation. And I am not changing it for you Pharisees, you scribes, you in the, the 21st century. I'm not changing it for anybody because my word is forever. And then it, it, it kind of, you look at this and go, wow, where would this come from? Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He who marries one is divorced from a husband and commits adultery. It's kind of like, and throw that in there. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, and that, that's how I was reading. It kind of feels that way. It's like, and in here, by the way. And yet at the same time, when you look at it, they were people that threw aside, when you look at the context, they threw aside the Word of God for their own benefit. And the Word of God was very clear that, you know what, you shouldn't be divorced. And they all said, you know what, we don't like that part of the word of God, we'll throw it away. Boy, aren't we doing that in our culture. I like the part about heaven, don't like the part about hell. Next week is a hell real place, we'll find out. But it's like, you know, I like the part of heaven, don't like the part of hell. Like the part about love, don't like the part about sin. You know, and I don't like the lists of sin specifically, you know, but it's kind of generalities, that's okay. But it's kind of like we're that way. And that's what the Pharisees did. They say, I like this part, don't like that part. Oh, throw that out. And so they would just make any excuse. I mean, their bottom line was if you wanted to get divorced, they'd just say, you know what? I just don't like the way she cooks. I don't like the fact she doesn't cook. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, they just threw it out. I so said, that's it, you know, and that's all that it took. And, and that was all that it took. That was enough to say, therefore, hey, this marriage is out the door. And, that the, other, and the other side of it is you've got to wonder, too, you know, in our culture, how much divorce is a result of love of money? Wow. It fits At first glance, you think, well, this is kind of strange, but he used it as an illustration. You know what? And on top of that, you throw aside the laws of God as if, you know what? They have no eternal purpose or significance. You cast it under feet. You just throw it aside and see, and I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to get to a passage like this and say, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm convicted about it. We need to be more purposeful in our giving. We need to have a giving plan. We need to start tithing. We need to start doing these things. And you know that as you sit here because God's Spirit is, is testing you. Do you love God or do you love money? But it doesn't take long to walk out the door, get out to the parking lot and begin to convince yourself that what you heard is going to go away eventually. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh. You know, because I see it, I see it, I see it because I greet you as you walk by and I just see you walk by going, like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, have a nice day. Uh, 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 uh. Hey, have a nice day. You know, see, here's the thing. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be presented with God's truth so that He can set you free from the bondage of sin? And selfishness is sin. And hoarding up for yourself is sin. And not being rich towards God is sin. And not putting God first in your life is sin. And you wonder why you have bondage. And you wonder why you have baggage. And you wonder why your life is so miserable and falling apart. It all has to do with the fact that you just need to be obedient. Hear the Word, do the Word. Hear it, do it. Just do it. And then praise God when he frees you from the bondage of material possessions that end up possessing us. There's a whole bunch of stuff here. But make money your servant. Be wise stewards. Use money which is temporary to accomplish that which is eternal. There is a world to reach with the word of God And the money that God entrusts to us can help us get that job done. And what a reunion in heaven one day that we took that which is temporary and turned it to that which is eternal. Let's pray. Father, thank you. As you continue to challenge us in your word, thank you for shaking up our comfort zone, for afflicting us in our comfort zone when our comfort zone is wrong before you. God, this is such a personal thing, but it's very clear from from what we read that it's a reflection of the love that we say that we have for you in our heart. If we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, if we love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, you tell us that everything else, all our other needs will be added unto us, they'll just fall into place. God, help us to be faithful with the mammon of unrighteousness, with money. To use it in such a way that we make friends that will welcome us one day in eternal dwelling places. God, what a wonderful day that will be. Thank you for allowing us to see just glimpses of that even here and now when we hear stories of people who have come to faith in Christ because they've heard the gospel proclaimed. Because of the generosity of your people. As we use those resources to build a new facility, God, we ask that you prepare the hearts of those that you will have come even before we even take occupancy so that their, their, their soil, their hearts will be rich and ripe to receive the gospel, the seed of the gospel. We pray that as we invest money in other areas, whether it's in missions or prison ministries or our children's ministry or any area that we, uh, that we use to you know, gain an audience for your great love for them, that we will continue to ask that you multiply those resources in a mighty way and that we would be willing to exchange the temporary pleasure of material things for the eternal redemption of God's people. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.